The worship, the songs. I love to be in a Holy Spirit-led church because I had nothing to do with the songs today. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, but I believe the Holy Spirit has orchestrated the songs. He's orchestrated the spirit of the day. Uh, and that's what's so wonderful about the Holy Spirit is uh, he is leading us and guiding us and directing us. And we want to open our hearts to him right now. Amen. Uh, the title of my message today is Mercy Triumphs. And uh, it's really, uh, I want us to catch the heart of Father today, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is what he's called us to. He's called, called us to uh, relish his mercy, to bask in his mercy, but to dispense his mercy as well. And we're, we're coming into such an amazing strategic season. Uh, not only is it Christmas season, but it's... Uh, there's so many things happening right now with regard to the heralding of the name of the Lord. And so many voices, right, proclaiming Jesus is king. Yes? And uh, this, I, I just, uh, I know that Father wants our hearts uh, so uh, prepared, so uh, in line, so ready uh, to dispense his love. So, Father, we just open up our hearts big today. We open up our hearts big today. We confess that we have your DNA, that we have your word within us, that we have your heart within us, that we have your appeal activated through us. And we thank you right now that mercy triumphs in us and over us, and mercy triumphs over this culture. Mercy triumphs over this globe. Mercy triumphs over every soul. That mercy is winning, and we give you the praise for it today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I was reminded, um, I was reminded, uh, and I think this is worth saying, I think it's, it's worth alluding to, I was reminded, um, and it's not part of the message, but I was reminded thinking, sitting here, uh, that one of the reasons that we're so hopeful is we, we believe the kingdom is growing, not shrinking. At New Horizon, we're not, we're not looking for the Antichrist to take over, we're looking for the Christ to take over. So this is part of, this is part, I think, of what, what stirs up, what activates hope within us as well. We aren't, uh, we aren't, we aren't worried about the future. We're excited about the future. Uh, we, we tend to gravitate toward the Christmas, the Christmas spirit of Handel's Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. Yes, he shall reign forever and ever. It's out of Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7 and following, where he is one who was seen as coming, and he shall be wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall reign forever and ever. And of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. We, we tend to gravitate toward that here. And so if you're used to gloom and doom, then you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time hanging out with us here uh, because there'll be no sad faces at New Horizon. 
uh, we tend to gravitate toward Matthew 13, 31 and following, that, uh, that the yeast of the gospel has been thrown into the earth. It's been hidden in three pecks of meal. And we think those three pecks of meal might relate to three 1,000 time periods. And, and, and that yeast of the gospel is working until all is leavened. We, we tend to lean into that parable in Matthew 13, that, that though the mustard seed was of the smallest seeds, when sown into the soil of the earth, it becomes the greatest, and the birds of the air come and find their home here. That's the kingdom. That's the gospel. You're a part of it. We're a part of it. So we have great hope. We have great hope that the Father is appealing to people, people you're going to run into today and tomorrow and at the bank and at the store and, and in your real estate transaction and, 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 and in everything you do. You're, you're, I, 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 we were pouring concrete at the house. We're pouring concrete at the house, right? This is about a month ago, whatever, three weeks ago. We're pouring concrete at the house. And... Uh, and the concrete driver looked like a young ZZ Top. You wouldn't want to talk to this guy. There's no way you would even want to converse with this fella, lest he beat the tar out of you. His beard was this long. He's about 42. His beard was this long. He's shaved of head. He's about three inches taller than me and makes me look like a small man. He's a concrete truck driver. You know. Next to Harley Riders, these are the meanest people on the planet. <laughs> then Doug and the crew, they're, they're yapping it up how this is the pastor's house and how the pastor got this fancy house and they're talking about the pastor's house. And then this guy just turns into a big puppy and he starts wagging his tail and he starts telling me that he used to go to church and he used to know the Lord and, that he, and, and it was this church located here and then, and then he's just talking my ear. For an hour he's talking my ear off and there's a Sunday where he's going to be in this house coming to this church because the Holy Spirit was putting a hook in his jaw and he showed up as my concrete truck driver. Everywhere you go, mercy is going to triumph over judgment. Everywhere you go, God's up to something amazing. God's up to something amazing. We want to work with that amazing. We want to work with that amazing. Amen? I felt like last Sunday we were challenged by what transpired. And so as we come into this season, I want to visit what transpired a little bit. Some of you weren't here. I'll give you just a tiny taste but I felt like last Sunday some of us were challenged because I felt like there were two principles that were, that were colliding against one another. And I believe that if we don't see what God's up to, that these two principles, if they continue to collide with our brain and our gut, then we won't be able to walk out what Father has in mind fully. First, up on the platform, we had... Stephen and Stephen came up with Denny, and uh, uh, and Pastor uh, Angelo invited them to the platform, and they were here from Bethel. And Stephen proceeded to tell about how and him and Denny knocked on a door at the Glacier Motel, and they went in the room, and there was a young woman there, 
racked with pain. And as they begin to talk and inquire and they begin to converse and they begin to demonstrate love, not judgment, she began to open up and she allowed them to pray. And as she allowed them to pray, then she also was healed. And Stephen testified from New Zealand. Stephen was testifying that he's never felt a presence so heavy in a room as he did in that Glacier Motel room. Maybe that's what more of us need to do. We're looking for the anointing in this place. Maybe he's looking to anoint us in another place. Maybe the anointing will show up outside of these walls. Maybe we truly are carriers of the anointing. And when we seek to meet needs and demonstrate love, maybe he shows up in a way that we're not used to. Maybe there's larger goosebumps for us sometimes outside of these four walls. And so the Holy Spirit's moving, and then the Holy Spirit jumps over on Denny. And Denny is convicted, and they're hearing of the goodness of God. There's a, like a visitation in the room, and Stephen, young Stephen's ministering to this lady, and she's getting healed, and she begins to respond, my pain's going away, my pain's going away, and, and the Holy Spirit jumps on Denny, and Denny's looking back over two years of kind of walking away from the Lord, and he begins to weep, and the Holy Spirit's on him, and the goodness of God is visiting him, and now the, you know, the whole room's getting wrecked. This is before they asked her anything about coming to the Lord. How is it that how is it that God wants to visit, care for, minister to, pay attention to? Why is God paying attention to unbelievers? What if she were a prostitute? The Glacier Motel in our community. This is not the hangout of the upstanding and the high quality and the, the CEOs and the amazing people. The Glacier Motel is not where the amazing folks hang out. Maybe they're amazing in God's eyes. Maybe God sees them as amazing. Maybe God wants to deposit honor on them who've been honorless. Maybe God wants to deposit dignity on them who have no dignity. Maybe God wants to declare worth over them. Maybe God read something in their book, the, the book that he wrote in uh, uh, Psalm 139. David talks about a book that Father wrote about every single person. I find it unique that God just didn't write a book about those who would become Christians. In his foreknowledge, he could have done that. He could have just wrote a book about those who will become Christians because in his foreknowledge, he knows who those will be. But he wrote a book of blessing. He wrote a book of favor. He wrote a book of kindness. He wrote a book of love over every single human, over every single person. And so they were tapping into that book. And then Philip came up and shared. Do you remember Philip sharing? How many of you remember Philip sharing? And then Philip really blew our mind, right? Philip, I mean, that really messed us up. How many of you got messed up with Philip? All right, admit it. Come on, admit it. All of you legalistic Christians out there. I'm messing with you. Did you get messed up with Philip? Philip, Philip approaches this woman at the roadway in, right? He approaches this woman at the roadway in. And he's, he's, he's praying into, he's looking into, he's, he's stirring up within him the Holy Spirit as to how to approach her and what to say. And, and he hears the Holy Spirit tell him 
to tell her that she's an amazing mom and that Father has appreciated the deposit she's made in the Phillips generation. She's at the roadway, folks. Road, I said roadway. Have you been to the roadway lately? This is slum number two in Fife. Slum number two in Fife. She's at the roadway. I mean, we don't know. If you live at the roadway, I mean, you could be, I, I don't know, you could be unemployed. You could be, you could be really in deep trouble. You could be a mess. The roadway. Not a lot of good stuff hanging out at the roadway. So glad that Philip was tuned into the Holy Spirit and not a spirit of judgment. See, these two principles, they do exist in God. These two, the essence of his character contains both. But since Father's wrath has been spent on Jesus, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so Philip, you remember what Philip did? Those of you that were here last week, he, uh, he, he, he got really carried away. He ne- <laughs> Help us, Jesus. <laughs> Out in public, at the roadway. And, and, and we, maybe this sister's here this morning. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But he knelt before her and began to thank her on Father's behalf. And, he, you know, he was, he was humorous initially. Momentarily, he needed to be. And, and told her, I'm not proposing to you. <laughs> but he just began to honor her, and he began to declare Father's word over her and appreciate her. And like the woman at the glacier, with Stephen and Denny, she began to break. Have you had anybody break on you lately? You know, like when you approach him with that Ten Commandment thing? You know, and you just tell them what you think about them and what a lousy person they are, and they just begin to break? Probably not. We had seven people born again last weekend. I think it was because the spirit of mercy was prevailing over the spirit of judgment. I haven't seen the spirit of judgment break a lot of folks lately. The spirit of mercy will. The spirit of mercy will allow you to tap into what's written in their book. See, that, uh, the prophetic ministry, the prophetic ministry is not just meant for us four and no more. It's not just meant for the family environment, not just meant for the house, though its importance in the house is off the charts, But the prophetic ministry is meant for a day like John 4 when Jesus goes to Samaria. That was like the roadway in. He goes into a place where he's not supposed to hang out. He goes to hang out with people he's not supposed to be with. And then he begins to offer living water. And I find it interesting in John 1.14, we could go here, but... Uh, this is a, a bit extemporaneous, forgive me. Um, 
So I don't know that we're going to get to the scripture, all the scriptures that I had in mind. But, but I find it interesting because I find actually there's a principle woven in who Jesus was. And then we see it in his ministry. Jesus was, John 1.14, the embodiment of grace and truth. And you know what I think? And let this, let this just grab your heart. I think when we see the ministry of Jesus, the grace preceded the truth. First Peter 4 says he came as an example to show us how to walk, right? The grace preceded the truth. And what was cool last week with Stephen, with, with Philip, um, with others, some of the Bethel team, that was the first time some of those students had ever led somebody to the Lord. And Philip was faithful when he when he finished the first portion of grace, mercy, mercy is the withholding of judgment that is due us. Grace is the declaring, the releasing of favor that belongs to us in Christ. And uh, I, I appreciated that when when he was done with that which opened the heart of that lady, then he led her to the Lord. Who wouldn't want to know a father like that? Who wouldn't want to know a father like that? And she received the Lord that day. She received salvation. She came to Father through Jesus last Saturday. Isn't that amazing? And this is the, this is the model method of Jesus. The model method of Jesus uh, is that we open people's hearts with, with grace and mercy. We open their hearts. And I wonder, uh, I wonder how long that grace and mercy should prevail. Um, you, ever, you ever ask that question to yourself? On Thanksgiving Day, Thursday on Thanksgiving Day, we had a gentleman in our house, uh, I think the only one uh, in our house. He's not watching today, so don't worry. Um, we had a gentleman in our house uh, who is not a believer. Um, uh, actually, um, Thursday is the first time I've ever heard him uh, be thankful about anything in his entire life. But um, the kids wanted to invite him, so he has been working for us off and on for about five years, four years. And uh, so then, so then I heard that the kids invited him to Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, I'm like, wow, I think their hearts are bigger than mine. Lord have mercy, Jesus take the wheel. Uh, and so, um, secretly, 
confessions of a true pastor. Secretly, I thought, well, maybe he won't show. He's usually late to everything. Might work out just fine. He felt invited. That was warm and fuzzy. But his heart is so cold, he might forget to come. Well, his heart grew five sizes on Thursday. And we do a little thing where we pass the candle around the room, and then, you know, people talk about what they're thankful for. And when the candle was lit, you know, his, he had to light his candle. There was no way out. And when he lit his candle, his heart grew five sizes. And he started talking about what he was thankful for. And he was thankful for our family. And we're the only family that he has. This is five years of testifying to this guy, praying to this guy, praying for this guy, uh, trying to lead this guy to the Lord. Uh, uh, I, I mean, throwing mercy and grace all over the planet on this guy. I mean, uh, showering this guy with the testimony of Jesus, living before this guy. And he hasn't budged one, one inch. I mean, Mrs. Wolf, she, she had him in a lockdown unto salvation one day. I mean, she, she had both arms twisted behind his back. Just, just say this prayer in the name of Jesus. You shall receive I mean, she, oh, yeah, and it was mixed with brownies and anything she could muster. Fresh soup. It failed. I'm, I'm watching this. I'm like, whew, she's brave, but it's not working. This man's got more devil in him. I mean, he's just resisting the whole thing, right? When do we stop being, you know, when do we stop? At what point, at what point do we, like, kick in legalism? Arr! Okay, we're done with this. He's going to get what he deserves. I hope he burns. Oh, I hope they have peanut butter and jelly in hell because when he's toasted, he's going to need it. I mean, when, when do we shift? At what point do we kind of shift our attitude into that, that uh, legalistic, uh, oh, boy, we know that God's uh, going to pour out some wrath on that feller. You know what? The New Testament says we never do. The New Testament says we never do. My mom and dad marvel, uh, marvel me. Uh, um, my grandparents, so my, you know, mom and dad, Assembly of God ministers, spirit-filled. My dad was a good soul winner, better soul winner than me. He was winning somebody to the Lord every week and just the most gracious soul winning machine, sweet guy. And, but my grandparents resisted the Lord and resisted the testimony of Jesus through them for 33 years, and for 33 years, they never stopped loving them. They never stopped giving. They never stopped the mercy train, the grace train. They never stopped. 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 Don't give them what they deserve. Give them what Jesus would give them. Give them what Jesus would give them. Give them what love would give them. And after 33 years, they both yielded to the Lord and gave their lives to Jesus 
and they both died in the Lord as Christians. Is that good? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? I want to read Isaiah 53, 4 to you. I think God did something really crazy in Jesus, and I want us to catch it. Because uh, I think, you know, you read the Old Testament, and you see that a large preeminent uh, emphasis of the Old Testament is judgment. It is wrath. And then you get to Ephesians 2. We are children of wrath, or we deserve wrath. We get to Colossians 3. We're children of wrath. And so a, a, large, a preeminent, uh, 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 a, a preeminent uh, flow or, or, or characteristic uh, of God's dealing with mankind. And then, you know, last week, was it last week? We talked about the promised land. We talked about the promised land just recently. And, you know, and they're to go in and they're to destroy these seven tribes. And, and ah, that kind of sounds a little harsh. And, and to be honest with you, uh, if you, if you, if you aren't following, if you aren't following the, the quickening the, the shift that transpired in Jesus, you, you kind of like, well, I guess the Muslims are bad, but I guess we used to be bad too. And how come we're not killing everybody like we used to? And wow, like they're killing everybody. And, and you follow what I'm saying? You get this? You ever had those thoughts? I mean, like, I hope... I hope they don't look too deep into our history because we used to kill everybody too. And we called them all like they were from Satan. And so I, I want you to see, though, that this, this massive shift took place. It's like as long as we were joined to Satan and as long as we were under the penalty of death. And as long as we were condemned, and as long as we had this debt that we owed Father due to our wretchedness and our unity with the demonic realm, as long as that existed in history, then we could be nothing other than children of wrath. But when Jesus took the penalty of mankind. He didn't just take the penalty of the saved ones. In the foreknowledge of God, it wasn't just the penalty of those who would come to know Jesus that Jesus took their penalty on himself. When he took on the penalty that we deserved. He took on the penalty for every single person. And this brought a massive shift. And what it did, it opened the floodgate where God could first appeal to us with love rather than confront us with wrath. And actually, God now has permission to appeal to you, to overwhelm you, to approach you, to slather you in your unbelief, in your wretchedness, with love, all the way until your last day. 
And you might look at people that are like totally messed up, rebellious, messed up, like atheist, whatever. God, God, you know, if God's loving them, it's none of your business. You're, you're, you're missing it. God can love them all the way till their last day if he wants to. Because what Jesus did opened the door for mercy to triumph over punishment, opened the door for grace to become preeminent. Grace leads the way to truth. And this is where, this is where when we tap into this is, this is now Father's heart. When we tap into this, we approach people. Our approach to people is not with truth first, yeah, you need Jesus. You're going to turn or burn. Grace proceeds. This opens the door for us to interact with love. And this is why this whole new covenant thing is called the good news, not the bad news. It's actually called the good news. See, judgment, wrath, does exist in God. But if we make that preeminent in our own heart, our own world, our own connection with people, we, we see people as the problem. See, what God did, and then Isaiah talks about it, in chapter 61, the vengeance of God on his enemies that's declared in Isaiah 61 that Jesus read in his first day in the temple, Luke chapter 4, 18. When Jesus stood up and he said, hand me the scroll of Isaiah, he opened it up to 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to deliver the captive, to free the prisoner, to heal them that are bruised, to declare Trying to remember the rest of it. You thought I was just meditating for a minute. I was actually searching my memory bank. Uh, special things to the poor, what did you say? What? No, I didn't say the Lord. I said the poor. Uh, yeah, all of that. Okay, so, but when he said that, then he said, and the vengeance of God on his enemies. You know who his enemies were? In Christ and from the moment that Jesus came, his enemies were no longer you and me. His enemies were the demonic realm. He was actually crushing Satan and putting Satan under our feet. Him who had ravished us would be now put under our feet. That's his enemy. You're no longer an enemy of God. And the person at the roadway is no longer an enemy of God, even in their sin. Is this going to mess with you? Even in their sin, they're no longer an enemy of God. Satan, as this is why it says, you know, our, our struggle, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. We're not running around confronting people. The truth is opened up. The Lord has access into people's hearts through love, and he couldn't do that before Jesus came. 
Surely here our uh, Isaiah 53, 4. Are you ready? Let's have the band come. We'll prepare for our first closing. Is this all right? I'm not saying you can't lead somebody to the Lord with the law. I'm just saying that uh, uh, God has called us to be love. 1 John 4, 17 even says that as he is, the context is love, so are we also in this world. We are love. You're a walking, you're a walking cellular composite of love. You are a demonstration of love. You are a minister of love. You are a, he's reconciled the world to himself in Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation, and we lead with love. We, we lead with love. Oh, I've got to read James 2 to you before, uh, before we close. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being. Those who attend church on a Sunday fell upon him. No, 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 no. Every human on the planet. And by his scourging we are healed. I'm not preaching universalism. Don't go there. I'm not preaching universalism. I'm not preaching that everybody's saved. I'm preaching that everybody's had their debt paid. So not only can you relate to them out of that knowledge, but so can Father. So can Father. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Listen to James chapter 2. This is, James chapter 2 is a chapter on favoritism. Now, favoritism is a little bit of what I felt when the kids said they've invited you-know-who to Thanksgiving. And I'm like, is he going to be noisy? Is he going to be a problem? Is it going to be stinky? Is this going to go well? How's everybody else going to feel about this? Actually, favoritism is the kind of thing that in Christ now, everybody deserves because Father loves them equally. So James chapter 2 is all about that. Listen to this. If you really, I'm going to start partially down. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, then he tells us what the royal law is. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. What is the royal law? What is the supreme law? What is the triumphant law? What is the law that has trumped all? Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Now, he's not reiterating. That was an illustration. He wasn't reiterating or even alluding to 
the supremacy or the power of the Ten Commandments. He was talking to people that understood the law. And they understood that if you break one law, you've broken all the laws. So therefore, if you break the law of love in any way, because this is the royal law, the law of love is supreme. It's even above the Decalogue. It's above the Torah. It's above the Ten. If you break this one, it's as if you've broken all the laws. So don't show favoritism because to break that one would be like breaking all the laws. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now he calls the law of royalty or the law of love the law that grants freedom. And he says, live this way. Put this law at the top of the list. Don't make it number 11. Make it number one. The law of love. The royal law of love. Make it number one. And speak and act as if you're going to be judged by that law. That I love well. That I love well. That I show favoritism. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's stand this morning. Oh, I pray that we catch this is Father's heart. Even this season, he's looking. He's looking to prophetically move through your heart. Father wants to grab your inner man, your heart, your spirit man, so that as you are conversing, approaching, walking, communicating, transacting, that preeminent in your heart is not, they live at the roadway, they live at the glacier, Oh, those aren't fancy clothes. I wonder if I should give them my attention. They probably don't have a lot of investments. They aren't worthy of my discussion. Oh, my word, did you see what they're driving? Lord have mercy. When they get a real car, I'll talk to them about some polish. No, 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 no. Father wants to grab our hearts right now. And he is looking into their Psalm 139 book that book that he wrote over them that he is so filled with precious and magnificent things that the sum of those thoughts can't even be counted. And he wants to grab our heart in such a way that we hear a download from him over them. And it might be that they're an amazing mom or that they made a deposit into their generation. Or it might be that he sees how they've been sabotaged. But he's going to show us something. He's going to show us something in love over them. And it's going to be that grace that opens their heart. It's going to be that grace that leads the way. They, they don't need truth right now. They've got enough truth rattling around on the inside. They already don't feel that great about themselves. Truth is number two. Let's lead with grace. Truth is number two. Let's lead with grace. Let's, let's spend so much time in grace and mercy that it opens their hearts. It might take five years. It might take 33 years. It might take 33 seconds in the Glacier Motel Room.
God is the God of miracles and he can open the heart. Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the building. Would you tell Father that you're willing to be a minister of reconciliation this season? She'll open your heart for those downloads. You'll yearn for the prophetic. You know, 1 Corinthians 14 ends this way. It says, covet to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says that when an unbeliever comes into your midst, the secrets of their hearts will be disclosed. What in the world do you think those secrets would be? Those of us that grew up with the law immediately think the secrets that will be exposed are going to be all their terrible sins. But what if the secret that is meant to be exposed is the gift on them that never got fulfilled? What if it's... What if it's what they were called for in their generation. What if it's what Father saw in their book when he wrote a book of favor and kindness and love? What if that needs to be exposed? So then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, covet that you prophesy, covet that you prophesy, covet that you have a seer's anointing about you, covet that you're so tuned into the Spirit of God that when you see a person, you don't see judgment first, you see mercy first, you see grace first, you see the breakthrough that Father wants to give them first. And Father, we just line our hearts up with this this morning. We ask right now, we've had a lot of miracles, but we ask that the God of miracles would show up at the glacier, that you'd show up at the roadway, that you'd show up wherever, wherever people need you. And wherever we go, that we would take with us the gospel of peace, that our shoes would be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we would carry that gospel with us wherever we go, and that your word would come through us, the word of life, the word of life, the word of goodness, the word of hope, the good news. We are carriers of good news, and we agree with that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, We're going to worship as we go. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. Some are from the prophetic team. And as we go this morning, if you just need that destiny connection, that destiny word, you you just believe this morning that maybe you're here coming back to the Lord, giving your heart back to the Lord. Maybe this is your morning. Come, be encouraged in the Lord this morning. God bless you, church. We love you.